Lord Jesus, I pray that your presence would be with us this morning, Lord. Um, Lord, we thank you that you proclaim your good news to us, that you free us from prison, Lord. So again, Lord, speak boldly to us. Open our hearts so that we can hear from you and be shaped more into your likeness. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. No, I don't need water. Thank you. It's very kind of you to offer that, though. Um, Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. If you and I haven't had a chance yet to meet, I'm Pastor Rick, the pastor here at Restoration. Um, Also, before I forget, I heard that someone brought like a huge platter of amazing food in commemoration of the Feast of Epiphany. Was that? Thank you, Laura, for doing that. Um, So after the service, uh, if if anyone forgets to mention that, don't forget about the food that's there. Um, So right now, uh, we are in the season of Epiphany. And let me take a moment to remind us all where we've been. So we've moved from the season of Advent to Christmas to Epiphany. And Advent, Advent's that season where we name and we lament the darkness and and the evil that we find both in the world around us and also in our heart. And then in Christmas time, that is the season in which we recognize that Christ, the light of Christ, pierced the darkness. That God is alive and he moves among us. He's here with us. And then here in Epiphany, this is a season, uh, it, it, begins, um, it begins on January 6th, which was on Friday. We had a service here to commemorate it. Uh, it begins uh, after the 12 days of feasting of Christmas have passed. Uh, and the event that happens in the Bible is when the wise men come to adore and to worship Christ, the newborn king. And so this is now the season of Epiphany that we find ourselves in. And during this season, we, we reflect on the fact that the light of Christ goes forth into all the nations. And so one of the ways that we mark that here at Restoration, you'll, you'll see there's a, a new sort of array of candles upon the altar, and you'll see that expand uh, as the weeks progress. But this is a time, like I said, in which the light of Christ's kingdom spreads throughout all the world. This is a season of, of mission and of purpose. Uh, even we Minnesotans in this cold cold, cold place uh, can receive the warmth and the light of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Well, this brings us to our scripture reading for today, uh, our gospel passage. Uh, The baptism of Jesus is always what we read uh, on the first Sunday in Epiphany. And this is the event that launches Jesus into his public ministry. This is when he receives the anointing of the Holy Spirit as prophesied uh, through the prophet Isaiah, which we just read. But he is anointed by the Spirit. He's affirmed by the Father. And this animates and propels and and moves Jesus uh, to proclaim his good news uh, in Judea and beyond. But also for us, for for the Christian, uh, this is the beginning of our life with Christ In the New Testament, adults who convert to Christianity along with their households, and there's like six or seven household baptisms in the New Testament, are immediately baptized uh, when they convert to Christianity. The apostles over and over again are saying, repent and be baptized, repent and be baptized. So baptism, it it marks the forgiveness of sins. It it marks the washing away of, of guilt and shame and the filling of the Holy Spirit and the affirmation of God our Father. This is also when uh, you are formally received into the household of the church. And so let's take a closer look at the baptism of Jesus uh, and see what does this mean for us here today. Well, I think one of the questions, one of the first questions that, that we might ask when we read an event like this is, why was Jesus even baptized? 
Because baptism in the ancient world, it was, it was a sign of cleansing, of, of purification. So Gentiles, that is uh, people who aren't Jewish, if, if they chose to follow the Jewish way, to worship Yahweh, then they would have to be baptized as a part of that symbolic purification ritual. But here at the River Jordan, uh, John's baptism was a little bit different because he was calling not just Gentiles, but Jews to step into the water and to be cleaned. Uh, this was a baptism of repentance. It was an admission of sin. It was a way of preparing for God's Messiah to come uh, to the nation. Well, Jesus, he's certainly not a Gentile, and he certainly doesn't carry sin upon him. And so it's easy to understand why John the Baptist would be confused when Jesus walks to him and requests to be baptized. And so John actually protests. He argues with Jesus. He says, if anything is going to happen here, you should be the one who's baptizing me. But Jesus insists. And he does so by saying, this is fitting in order to fulfill all righteousness. Now that's a curious phrase, to fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? Well, Jesus is the new Israel. Over the course of his life on earth, Jesus reenacts that great history of the Jewish people. And he's demonstrating over and over again that where Israel failed, he is faithful. I mean, let's just take a couple of examples. So God, when he was going to send his cleansing flood upon the world, he calls a remnant of people into the ark, and they, trash, they pass through the troublesome waters of the flood. But then the leader, the patriarch Noah, immediately succumbs to a horrible and wretched and deplorable sin after that flood. And then Israel, after being rescued out of Egypt, they pass through the waters of the Red Sea. But immediately they fall into grumbling and arguing against God. Well, then another time, Israel comes up to the rivers of the Jordan, and maybe it was the same spot where Jesus was being baptized. But they come to the river of Jordan, God miraculously parts it again, they pass through, and what do they do? They start noticing all the gods of the other nations and immediately fall and start worshiping them. So over and over again, Israel falls short of the righteousness of God. But where Israel fails, Jesus is faithful and he is victorious. I come to fulfill righteousness, Jesus says. Over the course of his ministry, this continues to be the case. Satan comes after him in the wilderness, and Jesus doesn't succumb to the temptation. Demons pursue him and try to outwit him, and Jesus isn't tricked by them. His message is already, always crystal clear. His mission never wavers. He is steadfast set upon the purpose that God has called him to. Jesus is the righteous one. And he comes to the waters to be baptized. So in the tradition of the Christian East, of, of the Orthodox Church, uh, whenever they, they write is the term, you don't say they draw icons, you say they write icons, but whenever they write an icon of Jesus being baptized, it is a beautiful, moving image. You see Jesus standing in the water and he is up to his neck in the waters. Try to picture this in your mind. You see John on the shore and he's, he's holding a shell and he's pouring water over Jesus. That's 
probably not historically what happened. Jesus, rest assured, uh, if we have some Baptists in our midst, I'm, I'm pretty sure Jesus was immersed. Uh, it's, it's okay. Um, but in this icon, it's, it's, it's a spiritual portrait as well. Uh, and Jesus is being, uh, water is being poured over him. And then on the other side, uh, you see the crowd there and they're watching this event. The heavens are opening up on this image and you see the dove descending upon Jesus. You see the spirit in the form of the dove hovering over these waters, anointing Jesus, bringing uh, power to Jesus, mission to Jesus. But then deep below the waters, under the waves, under Jesus's feet on these icons, you see all the water gods of the old world. And these water gods, they're, they're shaped like men, but they're sitting on the back of, of ancient sea monsters. And they're, they're scaly, they're serpentine, they're, they're sinister looking. They're holding really long weapons like spears and tridents. And they're looking up over their shoulder and they're snarling back up at Jesus. What, what is it that they have to snarl about? Well, it's because Jesus is entering into the chaotic waters of our world and is crushing them with his feet. Fulfillment of Genesis 3.15 and, and a seed will come and crush the head of Satan. This is an act of creation again. Once again, God is bringing order to the chaotic powers of our world. By the power of his Holy Spirit, he's, he's pushing against the chaotic storms of the cosmos. He anoints his son, the, the new Adam, the perfect human, to bring order to our world. Jesus crushes Satan and evil under his feet. Jesus is not afraid of the chaos. And this happens again and again and again over the scriptures. Do you remember the story of the Gerasene demoniac? This is a man who, who lives in darkness, who lives among the tombs, who, who cuts himself, who's, who's plagued by over a thousand demons. This is a, a, a poor, poor, miserable man. And Jesus sees him from across the sea. And he goes across the sea. He, he battles a storm in that moment. Do you remember that? He calms a storm. He walks across the waves until he eventually gets there. And with one word, he restores this man back to perfect health. Back to a, a full and quiet mind. A place of peace. Do you remember the story of the Samaritan woman? Here you have someone who's plagued by guilt and shame. Uh, she's, she's an outcast. This Samaritan woman. And Jesus goes to the borderlands of Judea and Samaria. He goes in the heat of the day, a day when most normal people were inside and, and seeking the shelter of the shade. But here he finds this, this woman who's drawing water from the well. And it seems as if she's lost, right? I mean, she's there at, the, at not the right time. She's not in the right part of the country. It, it seems like she's wandering from her purpose in this world. But Jesus sees that. He steps into it. And he names her past. And he restores her to a place of dignity. And he restores her back into the community as well. Or do you remember Mary Magdalene? Also someone who is plagued by demons. And Jesus heals her. She becomes one of his followers. And she's the first person to see Jesus after he's risen from the dead. In fact, he sends her to go preach good news to the apostles. And we could go on. We could talk about Zacchaeus, the tax collector. 
We can talk about uh, the Roman, Jairus, and his sick daughter. We can talk about the woman who's, who bled for 12 years. We can talk about the blind man, Bartimaeus, over and over and over again. Jesus enters the broken, chaotic, shameful parts of our world. And he brings order to us. He crushes Satan and chaos under his feet. So earlier I, I said that Jesus um, reenacts the story of Israel. And that probably isn't the most accurate word. It's probably not the best word because it implies that sort of Jesus is just kind of pretending, you know, uh, like he's just acting out these Old Testament events. Because there's a spiritual reality at play here. When God becomes man, he's reengaging the plan of God. He's, he's reactivating it. He's, he's rebuilding it. He's, he's reliving it. He's reliving the story of Israel. In Jesus, God enters the plot of humankind and he fulfills the role. He fulfills the original design. He he fulfills the original purposes that God intended for humanity. No one was able to do that. The Jewish nation was not able to do that. You and I are not able to do that. But Jesus does. He steps into our story and he fulfills the role. In spite of all the chaotic forces of this world. So are you starting to see how the the more we contemplate the baptism of Jesus, the more that we realize that to be baptized for us is to recover the humanity that God originally intended for us. It's to be truly human in a broken world. Jesus is able to do two things simultaneously. He's able to embody all righteousness. We've spoken about that. And he's also able to enter into the chaos of our world. And we've spoken about that. So what does that mean? It means that your chaos is not a threat to Jesus. Your chaos is not a threat to Jesus. Your sin, your guilt, your shame, your doubt, your confusion, this doesn't stain Jesus it's not like he walks up to the waters of your life and is like, whoa, 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 that's, that's too dirty. No, he steps into it. You do not compromise his mission. You see, the picture of Jesus' baptism is a picture of his righteousness entering into our chaos. And this is a reality, if you're baptized, this is a reality that you are called to step into as well. That you have been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Father has looked upon you and said, you are my son or my daughter, and I love you, is what he says. And so we are then called to follow after him. In Galatians, Paul says, when you are baptized into Christ, you put on Christ. So when you are baptized, you take upon yourself the Jesus way. You are clothed in his righteousness, not because of anything that you have done, but because of his abundant love He gives you his righteousness. And you're called into his mission. So what does this look like? Archbishop Rowan Williams means that we move into the neighborhood of chaos. (laughs) You move into the neighborhood of chaos. It means that those who are baptized, we're able to identify and name and see the chaos that is in our own hearts. It's maybe the cause of, of a wound from, that's been inflicted upon someone else, or maybe it's due to a poor decision that we've made, the sin that's bubbling up within us. But we're able to, to invite the Holy Spirit to come 
and to dwell and to, to hover over the waters of our soul and to bring order to those moments. Trusting that he will forgive us. Trusting that he will bring us peace. That he will bring us dignity and health and purpose. Just as he has done over and over and over again. And it means that collectively, we, the baptized body of Christ, that we ought to be near those places where humanity is the most dysfunctional, disorganized, disgusting, that as baptized people, we are not afraid to step into those moments, that we follow after Jesus. In in baptism, we are united in a death like his. We receive the forgiveness of sins, but we're also united in a life like his, a purpose like his, a direction, a trajectory like his. Uh, Anglican, an Anglican priest, a friend of mine, Alex Wilgus, um, who puts out a good podcast, by the way, called Word and Table. If you're new to the tradition, uh, subscribe to the podcast, start at episode one, work your way forward. It's great. Anyway, he says this about Jesus' baptism. He says, historically, the church has understood this passage as Jesus himself baptizing the water, baptizing the very waters that would go on to then be used in baptism for the church. You see, the presence of Christ is in this water. That's one of the reasons why we have a baptismal font at the entrance of the sanctuary, so that uh, if, if you come in that way, which is weird because we've got double doors here, you know, whatever. But if you come in, that's why we invite you to dip your, wa- your fingers in those waters and remind yourself that you're here because Christ goes before us, that he cleanses us. He purifies those waters. He makes some holy, soul-cleansing water. So in the first service, we had a baptism uh, for Eden Gudum. Uh, she's one of two twins. Her twin sister was baptized earlier. Uh, so it's those of you who have twins, which are several of you here, uh, can appreciate that. Um, so in this service, we don't have a baptism, but what we're going to be doing is we're going to uh, do a reaffirmation of our baptismal vows. Uh, so we'll be using portions of the liturgy that's in your bulletin for a reaffirmation. And so as you do so, I pray that the Holy Spirit would move among us. Especially if you are here and there's some sort of chaotic moment that's plaguing you, either from within or without. I hope that you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit upon you. That you renounce all the effects of the evil one of this world. That you renounce all sin. And that you turn to Jesus afresh. That you reclaim Him as your Lord and Savior. That you submit to the teachings of the Old and the New Testament. And that you would reaffirm that ancient baptismal creed, the Apostles' Creed. And may you hear the words of the Father speaking over you. You are my beloved. And I pray for us as a church. That restoration, we would not be afraid of those chaotic corners or places of our society. That we wouldn't be afraid to step into those moments. To to ask, how can the church minister in, in this moment? Where is Jesus in this moment? Where is the Spirit of God at work in this moment? Because we have nothing to fear. The Holy Spirit is with us. The Father is with us. Christ is with us. He goes before us in these moments. Jesus stands with us. He is the righteous one who enters into the chaos of our world. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, You are the Holy One. You are perfect. You are good. You are beautiful. You are righteous. In all the ways, Lord, that we are not. 
And Lord, you are all loving. And in spite of our brokenness, Lord, you came down to this world. You submitted yourself uh, to, uh, to the law and you fulfilled it, Lord Jesus Christ. You died on our behalf and rose from the grave that we might have abundant eternal life with you. So Lord, fill us with that life afresh today. Give us a renewed sense of your presence among us. Lord, may you give us a renewed sense of your presence among us uh, through uh, the table in which we are about to participate in. Lord, move in our midst afresh today. We ask this in your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen.